What if I ask you to name the first New Testament church, the first century church that comes to your mind? What's the first one that comes to your mind? Now think about that for a minute. Of all the churches that we read about in the New Testament, which is the congregation that first comes to your mind? Well, it might depend, I suppose. If you were thinking about bad congregations, congregations that had issues and problems, likely one that would come to mind very quickly would be Corinth. Corinth just had a ton of trouble. I mean, there was all kinds of issues in the congregation at Corinth. In fact, the letter we call 1 Corinthians, Paul just went through a long catalog of issues that they had and and giving them instruction on how to correct those problems. So the church at Corinth comes to mind as probably a bad example of a New Testament congregation. And then, of course, you would have to think about Laodicea. Uh, when the Lord addressed the seven churches of Asia in the chapters 2 and 3 of the book of Revelation, Laodicea was that church, you remember, that was lukewarm. And the Lord was ready to spew them out of his mouth because they were lukewarm. So that would be one maybe that would come to mind. But hopefully when we think of churches in the New Testament, we think of positive examples, good congregations of God's people. If you're thinking along those lines, one that certainly should come to mind is the church at Philippi. Paul had what seems to be a really personally close and affectionate relationship with the brethren at Philippi. Of course, he had been instrumental in establishing that congregation, but almost immediately... That church went to work to help and support him as he went other places preaching the gospel. And when we read the book of Philippians, it seems that there definitely was a really strong bond of affection between Paul and those brethren. That was a good church. The church at Philippi was excellent. I've known even these days, you know, someone describing a a good congregation in, in our time. And somebody will say, that's a real Philippi. And they're just using that in a very commendable way, talking about a good church. Another pretty good church of the first century was Ephesus. Uh, They seem to have a lot going their way. However, you remember that when the Lord addressed them in Revelation chapter 2, he had to rebuke them because they had left their first love and they were in trouble. So they, they had a really good initial beginning and were still standing, but were just maybe going through the motions, and they lost their first love, uh, the Lord said. Okay, let me guess, of all those churches that you were thinking about, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but my guess is that none of you possibly thought about what may have been one of the very best uh, congregations of the first century, the church at Antioch in Syria. Uh, now, we might have given it away with the scripture reading because uh, Joseph was reading about the gospel going to Antioch in Syria. But that's a congregation that we don't often think about or talk about or study. And I want to sort of correct that neglect tonight and for just a few minutes talk about the church at Antioch of Syria. Now, we need to note that there were two Antiochs There was this Antioch up here in Asia Minor, uh, and uh, Paul was there. Paul went to that Antioch as well. But the Antioch we're talking about is this Antioch in Syria. 
And it really was a good congregation of God's people. Paul worked with both this Antioch and this one, but we're concentrating on this one in our study tonight. And we want to talk about the things we know about the church in Antioch of Syria. Before we go further in that study, just stop to say thank you. Thank you for making this evening worship a part of your Lord's Day practice. We had just a beautiful Lord's Day in Middle Tennessee, uh, and we are really blessed to be able to end that day coming together to worship God. We pray that at least two things will be accomplished. First and most important, we pray that God will be glorified by all that we do here tonight. We pray that He will be pleased and honored by the time that we spend worshiping Him. We certainly hope and pray that that will be the case. Secondly, we hope that we'll be encouraged, edified, built up, and encouraged in spiritual things. We pray that will be the case too. Thanks for being here to be a part of this tonight. So what do we know about the church at Antioch of Syria? Well, first, I think we would point out that this congregation was the very first congregation to be principally composed of Gentiles. In Acts chapter 11, where Joseph was reading for us just a few moments ago, this is, this is the next historical reference following the conversion of Cornelius, uh, the first Gentile convert. Cornelius is converted in Acts chapter 10. You remember when Peter was directed to the house of Cornelius? In the first part of Acts chapter 11, when, Paul, when Peter got back to Jerusalem, he sort of had to go on the defensive and, and defend himself for having gone to the house of a Gentile. And, and of course, he made that defense adequately, and, and the brethren were satisfied, and it was a good thing. The next thing that happens then, after Peter going to the household of Cornelius, is that the gospel begins to spread, and it goes as far as Antioch in Syria. Read again, Acts 11, beginning verse 19. Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phinis and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake to the Grecians, pre- preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. So they came as far as Antioch. Now, note that they were preaching. Notice here it says they preached to the Grecians. Be aware that this is probably not a reference to Gentiles that they were preaching to. This reference of Grecians is probably a reference to Greek-speaking Jews. And so the gospel had initially... All through chapter 10 of Acts, the gospel had gone exclusively to Jews. The gospel now has just started to go to the Gentiles. By way of the episode at the house of Cornelius, it becomes clear that God wants the gospel to be preached to Gentiles. And so they're just beginning to do that. And Antioch becomes a place where the emphasis of that work apparently was upon Gentiles. Initially, they were working still with Jews, but we know this work came to be centered upon the Gentiles. And the reason why we know that this was principally a Gentile congregation is because the issue of circumcision really blossomed at Antioch. The the issue of whether or not Gentile converts to Christ needed to observe certain elements of the law of Moses specifically to observe the the practice of circumcision, that really became an issue. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But from that, we realize that this congregation, although it did have Jews in it, 
this congregation came to be primarily comprised of Gentiles. In fact, later, in Galatians chapter 2, a later reference to this same congregation is, is when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face, Paul speaking, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. For before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. Notice, when Peter came to Antioch, he was freely associating with the Gentiles. There were a number of Gentile converts in that congregation. But Peter made a mistake. He was wrong. Paul had to confront him and rebuke him. Because when some Jews came up from Jerusalem... He withdrew from the Gentile brethren and distanced himself because he was fearing them of the circumcision. And so this actually helps us to get the accurate picture that this was a congregation. And I think primarily made up of Gentile converts. And that being the case, this would have been the very first congregation thusly comprised primarily of Gentiles. Well, we know also that Barnabas brought Paul there to work with this young and growing church. A little bit of reminder about the background on Paul. In Acts chapter 9, Paul saw the Lord on the road to Damascus, as you remember. He was helped on into Damascus, and in Damascus he was baptized and obeyed the gospel uh, He's, according to Galatians chapter 1, he spent the first three years of his life as a Christian in Arabia. And after three years then, he returned to Jerusalem. But there was a plot to kill Paul in Jerusalem. And so he was led out of the city and, and sent back to his hometown, which was Tarsus in Asia Minor. And so Paul left Jerusalem and went to Tarsus. But... He apparently didn't stay there too long because as we are reading here, we notice, go back to the text where, where we were reading, uh, the, the, it, it says, let's see if I can get this up here, keep reading that text. Now, when tidings of these things came, if, if you back up, that's the text we were just reading. Let me see if I can go back to it. This is the text that we were just reading about the gospel coming to Antioch. And then as you keep reading there, it says, When tidings of these things came to the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem, they sent forth Barnabas, and he sh- that he should go as far as Antioch, who when he came and had seen the grace of God was glad and exhorted, and exhorted them all, that with purpose of heart they should cleave unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And so this is where we read about the beginning of the work of Paul and Barnabas, sort of the dynamic duo that took the gospel far and wide on the first missionary journey. And so this is the beginning of Paul's work not only with Barnabas, but also the beginning of Paul's work among Gentiles. And we know that that was the special purpose for which he was called. It was his special assignment. He often referred to himself as an apostle to the Gentiles. It was at Antioch where that work first began. And it was Barnabas who sought him out and brought him to be a part of that work uh, in Antioch. 
Very famously, we know that the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Look again at our text, and we add just one more phrase to that passage we were just reading. It says the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. And so this is the famous expression that we refer to pretty often. The disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. The word Christian is only found three times in our New Testament. You would think as often as that word is thrown about in our day and time that it was maybe on every page of the New Testament. But it's only found three times in the New Testament. It's found here. And then it's found in Acts chapter 26, verse 28, when Agrippa said to Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And then it's found in 1 Peter 4, verse 16, when Peter says, If any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Just those three times is the word Christian found in the New Testament. Now, there is an argument, I just might mention here, that there is an argument which says that the name Christian was a name which was given by the enemies of the church, uh, sort of a name given in derision, a put-down, an insult, meant to demean those who were serving Christ, that it was a name given in derision. I really do not think that that is true. And the reason why I was I don't think that's true is because we find a prophecy, a prophecy of Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 62, beginning verse 1. Isaiah 62, beginning verse 1, For Zion's sake will I not hold my peace, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest, until the righteousness thereof go forth as brightness, and the salvation thereof as a lamp that burneth. And the Gentiles shall see thy righteousness, and all kings thy glory, and thou shalt be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord shall name. Now, look at that just carefully. The Gentiles shall see thy righteousness. We've just been pointing out that that's the time frame we're talking about here, right? Acts 10, Paul, or rather Peter has gone to the house of Cornelius, and Cornelius and his household, the first Gentile converts. And now in Acts 11, the gospel has gone as far as Antioch in Syria, a congregation comprised primarily of Gentiles. Certainly, that would fit this description. The Gentiles shall see thy righteousness. Thou shalt be called by a new name, it says. In that time frame, in conjunction with that, thou shalt be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord shall name. I believe that that new name was Christian. I think it was a name given by God in fulfillment of this prophecy of Isaiah. I don't, I don't buy that argument that it was a name given in derision. Rather, that it was the new name that Isaiah had prophesied. And famously, that new name was first named here in Antioch of Syria and, interestingly, named in a congregation which was made up mostly of Gentiles. What else do we know? Well, I think it's especially important for us to point out that this church really set a worthy example in, matter, in two matters. In benevolence and evangelism. They were noteworthy in these two areas. Really, the benevolence was the very first specifically mentioned action of this congregation. Back to our text in Acts chapter 11. Just keep reading. We've been reading in Acts 11. Just keep reading about this church at Antioch. 
In Acts 11, verse 27, in, in these days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch, and there stood up one of them named Agabus, and signified by the Spirit that there should be a great dearth throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt at Judea, which also they did, and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Now, notice, here, here's a congregation. They find out about a need. In this case, it was a benevolent need. It was the result of a great dearth that occurred in those days. And they learned about brethren in Judea who were in need, and they made a determination to send relief, and they did it. We've talked a lot about the importance of us being a benevolently minded people. There's so much about that in the scriptures, and it is stressed as an important thing for us to be mindful of people in need and our ability to help those who are in need. And here's this congregation of God's people, and they made it a priority in their work to to be benevolent toward their brethren who were in need in a, in a, a distant place. They learned about it, and they stepped up to react to that. And that really sets a worthy example. We need to be thus minded, to be a benevolent people. Uh, also, by the way, notice that there's a pattern set here in how churches do their work. And so, so there, were, there were congregations, there, we know that there were multiple congregations by this point of time in Judea. And there was a need among those congregations. A, it was their need, in other words, a church in Jerusalem, a church in Joppa, a church in Lydda. They, there were needs in those congregations that they could not meet. It was their need, but they couldn't meet their need. They couldn't provide for their own needy saints. And so these brethren at Antioch sent relief, delivered it to those churches, specifically delivered it to the elders of those churches to administer the distribution of those funds. And so in benevolence, there's a pattern. And in benevolence, we see one church sending to another church because that receiving church has a need they cannot meet. It is their own responsibility that they are unable to meet. And in benevolence, we have that pattern of a church sending to another church to relieve a benevolent situation. Um, And so we see a pattern there. Now, we we won't go into it right now, but we think there's a different pattern for churches, how churches do their work in, in evangelism. But in benevolence, this sets the example. But what I'm really stressing to you is that this is a, this is a church that cared. And we need to be a church like that. They're good people. They had a benevolent mindset. But we said they were also uh, a worthy example when it came to the business of evangelism. In Acts 13, now there was... Uh, in the church that was at Antioch, we're still talking about Antioch, there was in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon, that is called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manaen, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. And so this is the beginning of what we refer to as the first missionary journey. We know that Paul made three missionary journeys. This was the first of them, and it began at Antioch of Syria. They were sent out by the brethren at Antioch and Syria to go forth on that first missionary journey. 
Well, we read in Acts 13 and we read in Acts 14 about the things that Paul did, Paul and Barnabas did on that first missionary journey. And when that journey ended, they ended up back at Antioch, Assyria. And so at the end of the first missionary journey, it says in Acts 14, beginning verse 26, And thence sailed to Antioch, from whence they had been recommended to the grace of God for the work which they fulfilled. And when they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. And there they abode long time with the disciples. So the first missionary journey started and ended at Antioch, Assyria. Now, we won't, we won't take time to read the references, but the second missionary journey started and ended at Antioch and Syria also. And the third missionary journey started at Antioch and Syria. It didn't end there because when Paul got back to Jerusalem at the end of the third missionary journey, he ended up getting arrested, as you remember. But based upon this, would you agree, since all three of the missionary journeys of Paul started at this place, and two of the three ended at this place, would you agree that it would be sort of fair to refer to Antioch and Syria as home base for the Apostle Paul? Now, I don't know about you, but if you just think, in my opinion, to say these people served as Paul's base of operation, when you think about all the work that Paul was able to accomplish and all the good things that he did, and these brethren were the ones who were sending him out and bringing him back again, you got to say, that that really speaks well of this church. This was an evangelistically minded congregation. Uh, and again, they set a worthy example in that regard as well. And certainly one that we need to imitate. Uh, spreading the gospel message, seeing to it that we do all that we can to get the gospel spread, uh, not just among ourselves, not just in our own local community, but not and not just in our country, but far and wide, far and wide, in far away places as well. We need to have that as a priority. And this church at Antioch in Syria certainly set a worthy example in that regard. Finally, let me suggest to you that this church sets an example in the fact that they were not willing to tolerate false teaching. We mentioned this briefly earlier, but the matter of circumcision became a really big issue in the first century church. We don't fight this issue anymore. It's not an issue for us. Uh, and so somebody said, oh, well, why even mention that? Well, we mention it because this congregation set an example of what you do when false teaching arises. You do not tolerate it. You do not compromise with it. We said this was especially a Gentile congregation. And so this matter of the teaching that Gentile converts had to obey the Old Testament law of Moses requirements about being circumcised, that was a big, big issue at Antioch in Syria. So these folks had come from Jerusalem. But when they arrived in Antioch, it was well known that what they were saying was not true because Paul and Barnabas were there. Paul and Barnabas knew better. Paul was an inspired man. He knew that this was not true. Look in Acts chapter 15 at verse 1. And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. How, how serious were the, they making this? You cannot be saved unless you be circumcised after the law of Moses. 
When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them. So how did Paul and Barnabas stand on that? Well, they knew the truth on that. They had no small dissension and disputation with them. Paul and Barnabas argued that. That is not true. That cannot be so. And so they, they withstood them. But then it says they, and that's got to be talking about the congregation at Antioch that we're discussing now. They determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem until the apostles and elders about this question. So when these false teachers arrived at Antioch, they were resisted. And they determined that they would send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem, put a stop to this. Paul and Barnabas did not go to Jerusalem to get an answer on this question. They already knew the answer to the question. They already knew that this was not true. Gentile converts do not have to be circumcised. They knew the truth on that matter. And so they didn't go up to Jerusalem to get an answer. You know, some of our friends in the religious world say that when they went up to Jerusalem, it's the first example of a church conference it's the, the first example of a, of a group coming together to, to vote and take a, make a decision on a doctrinal issue. It was nothing of the kind. The, the doctrine was already known and established. Paul and Barnabas knew the answer to this question before they ever went up to Jerusalem. They went up to Jerusalem for the purpose of stopping these false teachers from coming out of Jerusalem and spreading this false doctrine. But in all of this, I think Paul and Barnabas are obviously commendable in this, but in all of this, I think we also see that this congregation at Antioch is to be commended. They're not going to tolerate false teaching. They're not going to compromise with false teachers. Uh, uh, you know, there might have been the temptation for them to say, well, we just need to go along and get along. Uh, you know, we, we shouldn't make a big issue of this. If that's what they want to teach, just let them teach it and, and we won't worry about it. That was not their approach, was it? They would not tolerate false teaching. And that's certainly an important example for us, too. All right, so back to our initial question. When you think about New Testament churches, what's one that comes to your mind? I hope if you ask that question in the future, and me too, that one of the ones that will pop to our mind quickly is Antioch and Syria. Antioch and Syria is really a great congregation. In fact, as far as I can tell, there's not a single negative thing said about them. Everything is positive, and they set a good example for us to imitate. We want to be a kind of congregation that God is pleased with. And so when we see worthy examples like Antioch, that serves as an example for us to imitate. Thanks for your good attention to what we've had to say, and hope it's been an encouragement to us as we simply think about some of our brethren from 2,000 years ago who set an example for us to imitate. We're going to end our lesson with a song of invitation. If there are any here this evening who need our help in making your life right with God, whether that be initial obedience to the gospel or whether you need the prayers of the saints for a special need, if there's any way we can help you, let us know while we stand and sing this song.